Right, we are almost in the Christmas season. Who's ready? Who wishes they had another month to prepare? Oh, hey. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers. If you are a guest, welcome to Clear Creek. We are so glad that you're with us today. Welcome. If you're joining us online, we are just glad to be together here. Now, we're going to be diving into a text this morning, Galatians chapter 2. Grab your Bibles. Galatians chapter 2. While you're turning there, I have a confession to make. Last week, I made a mistake from the platform. I was sharing with you some, some different things, and one of the things I shared with you was a true story. And I mentioned a a real person. I just got the wrong person associated with a story. Last week, I made the mistake, and I shared that quote about digging for gold. You remember that? And I said it was from a guy named Dale Carnegie. I got it flipped in my brain. It's actually from a man named Andrew Carnegie. I had someone come up to me afterwards and say, I love you, Diggs. We got to talk, though. And so I was like, oh. So I made a mistake. Andrew, not Dale. Got me thinking, though, this week afterward, and here's the question for you. Maybe you can identify, have you ever made a mistake? Anyone else in here just willing to help the preacher and I feel so bad? <laughs> you made a mistake. Maybe it wasn't a big mistake. Maybe you misspoke or maybe you misheard. Maybe you picked up the wrong thing from the grocery fellas. Maybe you weren't where you're supposed to be at the right time or you're a little late. Maybe it's a small mistake. Or maybe, maybe if we're honest, you're like me and you can look back and you see things that weren't They weren't small mistakes. They were character-defining, life-changing mistakes. And maybe for some of you, you look back and there's that moment that you just wish, oh, if I could only get a mulligan on that. If I could just go back in time, try again. Uh, I told this in the first service. I had a lot of people in that service who knew what I was talking about. Maybe you as well. How many of you remember this thing called a tape recorder? Any of you know what a tape recorder is? Hold your hands up and look around who has their hands up. We have a generational divide here. This is great. I love it. But tape recorder, you could have a cassette, and if you didn't like what you recorded, what would you do? Rewind? And then you record again, right? Man, I wish. There's so many times in my life, I wish I had one of those moments. Try again. Because we've all made mistakes. In fact, here's the reality. I don't know every one of you, but I know there's one thing that is true of all people. In fact, one thing that we all have in common. One thing we all have in common in this room is simply this. We have made mistakes. We've done things we wish we could undo or redo in a different way. And it's not just you and me, but it's even the man that we've been talking about, this guy whose nickname was Barnabas. And if you remember, we've been going through the series saying just like Barnabas, the idea being that this man named Joseph who lived such an encouraged, filled life That people who knew him best gave him the nickname Barnabas, son of encouragement. And I know each week over the past six, we've been doing sort of like a highlight reel, sort of an Instagram look at his life, pulling great things, saying live like him, be like him, live like him, be like him. And none of that, none of that changes today. But here's what I want you to see. Even the Barnabases in life were not perfect. And this should be an incredible encouragement to you. Because when we say let's be like Barnabas, it can seem daunting or impossible until we realize that not just Barnabas, but every human to walk the earth has moments they wish they could rewind and redo. 
And so if you and I sat down with Barnabas this morning, if we, if we said, hey, Barnabas, what, what would you do different? Or do you have any regrets? He'd say, yeah, I got a regret. In fact, my good friend, Paul, decided to write it down so that centuries later, people could read about my big mistake. And so this morning, we're going to read his big mistake. Are you ready? Because I want to encourage you, and then I want us to see something a little differently as well. But this is Galatians chapter 2. Paul the Apostle is writing to a church in the city of Galatia, and he writes this. This is Galatians chapter 2, and he's about to talk about a big problem, a moment of failure. Paul writing says, when Cephas, that's just another name for the Apostle Peter, when Cephas, Peter, came to the city of Antioch, Antioch was predominantly a Gentile city, not a Jewish, but Gentile city, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Oh my goodness, what did he do that you would publicly to his face say, stop it? Well, here's what happened. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Now let me explain what's going on here. Paul is explaining that in Antioch, that's predominantly a Gentile area, but James, one of the church leaders residing in Jerusalem, and most of the Christians at that time who lived, who were Jews, lived in Jerusalem. And so he says some people came from Jerusalem who were Jews. They kept all the laws, all the dietary restrictions, they'd been circumcised, and they come to Antioch, this predominantly Gentile city. And here's what happens. But when they, the people from Jerusalem, the Jews, arrived, Peter began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. So the people he had spent time with, he starts to pull away from to spend time with the Jewish Christians. Why? Because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. That's just a euphemism for the Jewish people. He was afraid of what the Jewish Christians would say, so he stopped spending time with the Gentile Christians. We are witnessing in real time Christian elitism. I don't want to look bad, so I'm going to come hang out only with these people. And this is what happens. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, notice this phrase, even Barnabas, even the son of encouragement, even the giver of fields, the welcomer of Paul, the man full of the Holy Spirit, the one who digs for gold in people's lives, not dirt, the one who lived out his convictions, even that Barnabas was led astray. In other words, being like Barnabas means you're going to have mistakes. In other words, Barnabas is a good mentor, but he is a terrible or bad Messiah. He is a good mentor. We can learn a lot from his life. We can say, I can learn something from you. You have valuable experience. You have valuable characteristics. You are a man who I want to be like. Or ladies, there may be another woman you're like, there's a woman I want to be like. We have great, in this room, great mentors. But friend, hear me now. A follower of Jesus says, There may be good mentors in this room, but there is only one Messiah, and his name is Jesus. It's not Barnabas. Now, this should be great news for every one of us in this room because it means a couple things. Number one, it means you will fail. Can I get an oh yeah from anyone? 
Okay, you don't believe me? Fine. The person sitting next to you will fail. Now can I get an oh yeah? Oh yeah. Everyone around you is going to fail you at some point. You're going to fail others at some point. Now this is not a license. This isn't a pass for sin. This is not an excuse for failure or mistakes. But it is a reality that even the Barnabases in our church are going to fail. And it's great news, though, as well, that there's one who will never fail you. And all I want to do today, all I want to do is if we're going to talk about what it means to be just like Barnabas, we have to be like Barnabas in everything, including this big idea that Barnabas would say, I'm a good mentor, but I'm a bad Messiah. Why, Barnabas? And Barnabas would say, because I'm not Jesus. Jesus may live through me, but imperfectly because I will still sin. Thank God Grace is available even to the Barnabases in the room. This means it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. But the grace of Jesus is available. So as we close out this series of Just Like Barnabas, I want to focus on the one Barnabas focused on in his life. Because if you're going to be just like Barnabas, you're going to fail. But if you're going to be just like Barnabas, you need to have eyes to focus on what Barnabas focused on. On And the focus of Barnabas' life was Jesus Christ. Every good thing he did was not because he was God, but because he knew God, Jesus Christ. And so here, here's the big idea. If you thumb through the pages of Scripture, and Clint, I'm going to flip a, a slide on you here, but if you thumb through the pages of Scripture, you're going to see that there's one hero, and the name of that hero is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only hero in Scripture. He is the only hero in this world. In fact, I was reminded of it this weekend. This weekend, my kids and I, we went to Nashville. Lindsay came as well. We all were having a good time, went up, saw family. The reason we went was because we won't be able to go for Thanksgiving. We're going to be here in town, so we went up just to have some fun. And I took my kids, and we slept out in my old treehouse in my mom and dad's backyard. This was a much smarter idea when the forecast was like 50 or 60 degrees and not 32 degrees at night. So it was, it was a long night, Friday night, folks. We had a great time. The kids came out, you know, hypothermia kicked in. We chopped off a few t- fingers. They had a great time, though. It was excellent. We get up. We're having a good time. And I walk into my dad's office. And right there in the house, he's got an office with all this different memorabilia. He's lived a pretty cool life. And so on the wall, there's a picture of Elvis Presley with a handwritten note Elvis wrote to my father years ago. And he's got a picture with some of the Beatles and other things, or, or the Beach Boys. And he's just got a really cool, eclectic life. There's this one piece, this one thing in his office that I love. In fact, here's what it is. A life-size, a life-size cutout of Roy Rogers. Now, I just, again, let's just check the generational gap here again this morning. How many of you know who Roy Rogers is? Again, just look around this morning and embrace your age. It's fantastic. I love Roy Rogers. Cowboy, musician, savior of the oppressed, a good dude. By the way, if you watch the old Roy Rogers TV show or some of the films he was in, I began to notice something growing up because I saw all these because my dad loves Roy Rogers so much. And you want to know what I noticed? There's one thing you can focus on to, to know if someone is a hero or a villain. Do you want to know what it is? Here, go ahead and look. What color is the hat? Yeah, if you're the good guy, you wear a white hat. If you're a bad guy, you're a bad guy, you wear the black hat. Right? You're going, Diggs, don't ever do that again. Okay. You wear the black hat. 
Here's what happens is when we begin to read the scriptures, you and I often read and we begin to wrongly think we're seeing a bunch of white hats. We read about Noah, the faithful man of God who built the ark a hundred years in the process, all to be obedient to God. And because of his faithfulness, humanity is saved. Animals are saved. Yay, God, we have a petting zoo today because of Noah. White hat until he gets off the boat. And what does he do? What is the first thing that Noah does when he gets off the boat? What is the first thing he plants? A vineyard. And what does he do? He makes him some wine and he gets plastered. Now listen, I want to cut the brother a little bit of slack. He spent the past year on a boat with his family and animals. I'm just saying, some of you know what you'd be doing too. White hat? No. Black hat. What about this man named Abraham? He was the father of the faithful. He is the man through whom God gave a child named Isaac, the child of promise. And because of Abraham, all who have followed God are considered spiritual sons and daughters of this faithful man. Oh, white hat. He is the white hat, correct? Yeah, until he gives his wife away to another man twice. Now listen, I can forgive someone for doing something stupid once, but twice, black hat. What about Moses? Moses, the liberator of the oppressed Israelites, he helps lead them out of Egyptian slavery. White hat, until you realize he killed a man and tried to hide his sin, and when he couldn't, he fled. Black hat. What about King David, who began as the giant-slaying, psalm-writing boy shepherd. He becomes the king of Israel, the image of what a great king looks like. He has a white cap if there's ever been one until you realize that he had an affair and tried to, and then tried to cover it by killing the husband of the wife. Black hat. By the way, fun thing to do with your children is let them listen to Bible stories from church and then read through the Bible text at home. We did that just the past few weeks, and as we came through the story, my daughter, Emma, who's just a sweet little kid, seven-year-old, we get to that portion, and her eyes go, Broop, and she goes, what? I thought David was the hero. Guess what, church? David's not the hero. Moses is not the hero. Abraham is not the hero. Noah is not the hero, and we could go through everyone else. Gideon is not the hero. Samson is not the hero. Esther, as great as she was, is not the hero. Miriam is not the hero. Paul is not the hero. Peter is not the hero. The one hero of Scripture is Jesus Christ. Period. And in this church, we may have different leaders, but there is only one perfect hero, and the senior shepherd of the Clear Creek Church is Jesus. We follow him. And to be a Barnabas says, I will live with my eyes on Jesus and any good you see in me is just because of what I see him do. Oh, you're going to see me fail, but you'll never see him fail. I'm a man, but he is the God man. I may be a decent mentor, Barnabas might say, but he is the perfect Messiah. And so for just the last few minutes, can I just, can I just tell you why I think Jesus is so incredible? Because for some in this room, you've never accepted Christ. You've never given him your full life. You've never put him on in baptism. Or maybe you got wet, but you didn't fully open yourself to him. And you've been living this sort of partial life in Christ. 
Or others in here, you've been so wounded because of what you've seen other Christians do, and it's shaking your faith in God. Friend, hear me now. At best, we are imitators of Christ, but we are not Christ. We simply point people to the one who can save. So I want to give you a picture. As we come into this season that we're about to enjoy of the one who is worthy of all praise. Let me give you a little comparison here. We've looked at six things about Barnabas the last six weeks. I just want you to see the difference between Barnabas and Jesus in case anyone's unclear as to what we're living for and who we're living for. We're trying to be something, but it's because of Christ. So notice this, number one, Barnabas encourages our hearts. He uses words. He is thoughtful. He inspires. By the way, a great verse that you need to memorize is Ephesians 4.29. It's all about the words we use. Barnabas encourages our hearts, but Jesus, Jesus saves our souls. Barnabas may be able to make you feel better, but only Jesus can make you better. Number two, Barnabas gave his field. You remember, he gave up his funds, gave a field to bless the body of Christ. He gave a field, but Jesus gave his life. He didn't give a portion of what he earned. He gave all that he had. By the way, how much is the keyword infinite God worth? Infinite. He says all of it. He didn't just give a part of his life. He gave all of his life, which is why 1 John 3.16 says, we know what real love is because Jesus Gave up his life for us. Number three, Barnabas welcomed Paul after Paul became a Christian. When he came, he had been converted. And Barnabas says, you come, you belong to us. You be in our family of faith. You are welcome here. When everyone else was scared, he invited Paul in. But notice, Jesus welcomed Paul before he became a follower. It was in Paul's worst moment of life on the road to Damascus as he was heading down the path to take out Christians, to tamp out this movement. It's in his worst moment that Jesus Christ says, I want you to be part of my family. You are welcome here. Hear me now. Jesus doesn't wait till you're cleaned up to say welcome. He cleans you up and welcomes you. He's the God who does it all. This is why Jesus throughout Scripture Welcome the greatest to the least. Do you remember the story when Jesus in John chapter 4 is traveling from northern Palestine, northern Israel, down south, and he has to travel through an area called Samaria. And technically, he did not have to. In fact, Jews would often go around Samaria because they did not want to even go into an area where the unclean Samaritans lived. Yet, Scripture says in John 4 that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why? Because there was a woman at a well who had been outcast of her culture for things she did, and Christ said, I have an appointment that my father foresaw before time began. I'm going to her. I'm going to welcome her. I'm going to answer the longing questions of her heart. Friend, if you are here today, it's because Christ has welcomed you and he has come to find you. Jesus Christ went to her He welcomes all, not just the great, but also the least. Do you remember the time in Matthew 19 when little kids started coming to Jesus? And I know in our culture we think, oh, isn't that cute? Little kids coming to Jesus, so sweet. Yeah, not in their culture. Kids were to be seen but not heard and maybe not even seen. 
And so people begin to say, hey, Jesus doesn't have time for someone as low, as little, as small as you. And Christ says, do not hinder the children. You let them come to me because Jesus Christ doesn't just welcome some. He welcomes all. Barnabas, number four, Barnabas, look at this, was filled with the spirit of God, but Jesus is God. He's not simply wearing or receiving a part of God, but before time began, there was this this one Part of the Godhead, Jesus. He is not simply full as a vessel. He is God. I want to be very clear this morning. Our culture has this schizophrenic view of Jesus. People will say things like, I like Jesus, but I don't believe he's God. Or Jesus was a good teacher, but he was nothing more than a man. I'm here to declare to you, if you believe anything about Jesus, believe what he says of himself. He claimed to be God, not just a man, but God, Jesus, eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent God. He's far more than a mere mortal or mentor. He is Messiah. Number five, Barnabas. I love this. Barnabas lived his convictions. He reached out to John Mark when others pushed him away. He lived out his conviction. But notice, Jesus Christ died for his convictions. He died for his belief that God has a plan for your life and my life. That you are not to be thrown away into the trash bin of history. But God so loved the world that he gave Jesus for you. Jesus died for his convictions. Do you know anyone who has died for you? Who has died because they want you to have life? Jesus died for his convictions. And number six, last week, Barnabas dug for gold, not dirt in others. I love this. But Jesus takes it so much deeper. Jesus took our dirt and he made us gold. (laughs) Do you realize your value? You are valuable to God. Yes, you have the image of God imprinted on your soul. But beyond that, Christ took your garbage, your dirt, your sin. He took my garbage, my dirt, my sin, the stuff that wakes me up at night, the things that when I think back, if I'm not cautious, I will relive those pains because I will forget that Christ has taken them from me. He took your dirt and He made you gold. Scripture puts it this way. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made Jesus who had no sin. He was spotless. Who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, he says, give me your dirt, I'll give you my gold. This is what he does. Is it any wonder when you grab hold of this reality that Barnabas would say, that's who I want to be like. And anything you see in my life that's good, it's just because I'm watching Jesus. And any moment you see something wrong, it's because I've taken my eyes off Jesus. By the way, I remember when I first learned how to drive a car... And one of the things I was taught, one of the first things they tell you when you're driving, other than for you're supposed to put your hands where? Do you know? Yeah, 10 and 2. How many of we, us actually do that? Eh. And so I, I was with someone the other day, and he was eating as he drove with his knee. That, that was a little terrifying. I'm going, 10 and 2, 10 and 2. Jesus, take the wheel. I, I'm just, let's go, right? But one of the first things they tell you when you're holding on is that where your eyes go, that's where you'll go. So if you begin to look to the left, what happens? You begin to drift to the left. If you look to the right, you begin to drift to the right. And Barnabas would tell you, he would tell me that when he is doing what we are so inspired to do ourselves, 
just because he is looking to Jesus. Jesus is the hero. And the Galatians 2 passage was a moment where he simply just took his eyes off Jesus. One of the things I love about this church, can I just brag on you for a minute? This is a church full of Barnabases. And I mean that. I've been to some churches where a preacher might say that, but it'd be a dead lie. In this church, I see so many of you who are a physical embodiment of what I would love to be like. Some of the people that I was thinking about earlier this week, and there's so many, but I think about my buddy Steve Jett, who is a words of affirmation guy. I get texts from him and encouragement from him. He is a Barnabas in so many ways, but if you were to ask Steve Jett why, he'd say, I'm just trying to be like my hero, Jesus Christ. It's because of him. I think about my sweet sisters, Rosemary Carson and Jean Roark, who are the silent servants of our church. They help get all the kids' materials ready for We Worship, what's happening right now. They're here throughout the week getting stuff ready. And if you were to say, thank you, why do you do it? They'd say, well, we just want to be like our hero, Jesus Christ. They're a Barnabas because of Jesus. I think about people like Mark and Megan Phillips who are out here greeting. They're on a rotation and they serve so faithfully. If you were to say, why? They'd say, because we just want to be like our hero, Jesus Christ. I think about my buddy, David Shropshire, who right now is with many of your children in We Worship. And he is the hero to so many kids in there. They love Mr. David. But if you said, David, why do you do this? He'd say, it's because I want to be like my hero, Jesus Christ. I think about Gavin and Deidre Stewart, who are these just effervescent joy balls. They just love people. When you're around them, you feel better. And you say, why? They say, because we love Jesus. He is our hero, friends. Whenever you see something good in someone else's life in this church, it's because Jesus is their hero. And to be a Barnabas, hear me now, to be a Barnabas means that you say, Jesus is my hero. He is my everything. And if you see anything good here, it's because of him. And if you see anything bad, it's not because of him, but it's just because I turn my eyes, but I love Jesus. As we walk into the season the next few weeks, here's what I want you to hear. Number one, you can be just like Barnabas. Just turn your eyes on Jesus. Make him your number one. And number two, take heart when you are just like Barnabas in your sin and mistakes because it's not about your perfection, but the perfection of God that gives you righteousness. It is Jesus.